Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live. On Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your host, Alan Smith, a veteran of OTR trucking, business entrepreneur, and the most recognized name for assisting CDL students and new graduates. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. You're listening to Truth About Trucking live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Okay, welcome back to Truth About Trucking Live. Obviously, I hit the wrong button. But that's okay, we're here. That's what happens when you barely get yourself seated and ready to go for a live broadcast right here across the World Wide Web. Uh, but again, welcome back. Uh, this is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Today is Thursday, February 23rd, 2012. And we are live from the Sunshine State. And what a mild winter we've had here this year. Didn't really even have a winter this year at all, which is fine with me. Uh, this year is the way Florida should be, and you think it is. Sunshine, warm weather, no winter at all this year, just the way I like it. Donna's over here scraggling around here real quick to get ready. Um, for those of you who want to keep in the know about what's happening in the world of trucking, we've got a very informative uh, show coming up all about what was said and what took place at the recent Motor Carrier Safety Advisory Committee uh, earlier this month as they discussed recommendations concerning uh, sleep apnea, EOBRs, the electronic onboard recorders, and among other topics that affect you as a professional driver, and the trucking industry as a whole, such as driver harassment documents in relationship to uh, EOBRs. Uh, they talked about the long-haul trucking pilot project. Uh, <clears throat> that's a little fancy name for um for really just a NAFTA agreement with Mexico. So a lot of information will be going over, and to help us through it all will be our special guest, safety and compliance expert Richard Wilson of Trans Products and Trans Services on the web at transproducts.com, and Todd Dill, senior editor of Overdrive Magazine over at overdriveonline.com. They'll help us sort through all of this, and if you'd like to join the conversation, you could do so by calling in at 347-826-9170. 
And before we get started, we'll pull my trusty co-host in here, Donna Smith, for her updates on what else is going on with the industry that you uh, might need to be aware of. So, Donna, are you there and set and ready to roll? I'm all ready. Well, take it off, girl. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> take take the show off. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Too much coffee. I know. I think we're both kind of wired here. You know, you would think when I sit down and get ready for a two-hour show, and after I've had 37 cups of coffee, that after doing this show for five years, I would do a bathroom break before sitting down. Now, that's probably information, you know, people could probably live to learn without, but that's what 37 cups of coffee do to you. Yeah, I, I know about that one. Uh, anyway. You're saying shut up and let me talk. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and it's great to be here. Um, I do have a few announcements. Um, just recently on Facebook, I thought I'd announce this one. Uh, Kyla Lieberg from Truckers Against Trafficking um, posted that there was a gunpoint robbery last week in Kansas City at the Wendy's on Front Street by the Flying J truck stop on I-435. Uh, apparently, a girl working the area was asking for donations, and while her man was standing out of view, when the driver opens the door, he comes out with a gun and does the robbery. Wow, when was that? Um, well, I, you know, I just saw it on Facebook, and I just reposted it, so let's see. Uh, there wasn't a date, but it, it sounds like it was pretty recent, so she's just giving a heads up to everybody that... You know, I mean, it doesn't mean they're going to stay at that area. Maybe they move on and, and work different areas. But if you see people, you know, you just have to be careful because, you know, it's desperate times and and these are the things that are going on. Um, now, her sister, um, uh, Candace Paris, uh, she has been asking truckers to help stop sex trafficking. Uh, there was a, a, a Las Vegas from the KTNV uh, news authorities in southern Nevada are asking truck drivers to be the eyes and ears to help fight human sex trafficking in Sin City and the surrounding areas. Uh, they had a, uh, a press conference on Wednesday uh, to call the attention to the problem of the uh, human trafficking. They actually had it at the Morton Travel Plaza truck stop at I-15. And uh, there's some, the Lieutenant... Karen Hughes of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department said there's so many different types of places where these pimps will exploit the women, and this is just one of them. Uh, Candace said the national, she's the national director for Truckers Against Trafficking. The Department of Justice estimates that anywhere between 100 and 300,000 of America's children are at risk for entering the sex for sale industry every year. And Lieutenant Hughes says it's a particular problem in Las Vegas where prostitution is illegal, but the perception is anything goes in Sin City. So uh, truckers and anyone who suspects a person is a victim of human trafficking is asked to call the national hotline, and that hotline number is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight, and that number again one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. And some of the things you look for is uh, girls very young, uh, even if the adults are very very nervous, if they have bruises 
on them or they don't speak. These are some of the things to look for. Um, so that's that's that. Uh, Tony Justice, congratulations, Tony and Misty. Uh, they got married right before he performed at the uh, pre-Grammy Awards. Um, everybody's so happy for them. They're a wonderful couple. Tony was on our show just a couple of weeks ago, and you can listen to the replay on that. It was an incredible um, uh, show. We got so much feedback from it. And yeah, she she said she said you ain't going out to L.A. without a ring on my finger. <laughs> I know what happened there. What did you put in your coffee tonight? <laughs> I don't know. I just took it out of the <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, they know I'm funny. Okay. Uh, Tony will also be performing at Matt's on Friday night. Um, you don't want to miss that. Um, we'll we'll put up another post about that also. Um, because I think Alan's got a blog post already uh, about Matt. So, anyway, he'll be there Friday night. We know we're not going to miss it. We're going to be there. So um, you make sure you see him on Friday night if you're going to Matt's. Also, um, the Dynasis APU will be at the Mid-American Truck Show, and so will we. We'll be broadcasting live at their booth, which is number 16052. Uh, as you know, Dynasys is one of our gold sponsors for the 2012 convention. We'll be doing uh, two shows live at Matt's, one on Thursday on 322 and one on Friday, 323. And those uh, will be afternoon shows, I believe, uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 1 o'clock. Stop by. We'll be there uh, in the morning. And be sure uh, also to see the new cutting-edge advancements in trucking social media that will be uh, – uh, talking about uh, be a part of the show by joining Alan in the on-site glass walled recording studio. Uh, that's where we're going to be given the live coverage. Um, Dynasys will be given uh, having a social media drawing for an Apple iPod. What you do is attendees will tweet their answers to questions uh, that are given to them, and then their name will be drawn to win, and that's for an Apple uh, iPad. Uh, the live there will be a live product demonstration uh, on their Dynasys APU. They'll have recharging stations to uh, recharge your cell phone and your computer. And this is the big one. The airflow truck is going to be there. This thing is, is just incredible. Uh, it's the most aerodynamic and fuel-efficient Class 8 rig in the world. You've got to come by this booth um, to see this. I mean, also to see us and and Dynasys and David and his crew, but... I'm going to try to sneak in that rig and drive it off. <laughs> I know you had something in your coffee. I just know it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty cool-looking thing, though. It is. It is. I, I. It looked like something from the Jetsons. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, they yeah. I, they can see it at the Dynasys booth. Dynasys booth number 16052. Now, I'd like to give you a few um, convention updates. Um, this year it is a two-day event at Harris in North Kansas City, Missouri, on October 27th and 28th. Uh, there will be a welcome reception this year on that Friday night, uh, the 26th. Uh, that's open to all major sponsors and the first 100 registrants. So we hope to see you there on that Friday night also. So the registration link is live. Um, it took a while for it to be live. Uh, I got a lot of emails. Why isn't it working? But it's live now, so you can go to the page and register for this event. 
again, the first 100 um, get to come to the welcome reception uh, party on Friday night. Uh, you can also see the, the menu. If you go to the registration link, you, you'll be able to see the menu for all three days, um, the Friday evening and the two days. So just hit the regis- registration link on the uh, www.truckingsocialmedia.com website, and you'll see all that. We want to thank all our sponsors from last year, those who have already come on board this year, and all those who are presently filling out their pledge forms. We thank you in advance. Um, so far, we have TripSheetCentral.com. Uh, we have uh, Dynasis APU, which is Hajian, TransportWatch.com, KCTrucker.com, AllenAirsProductions.com, and TruckDriverMoneySavingTips.com. Uh, we're going to be having James McCormick back from Trucking Careers of America this year. He's going to have a booth, a booth and he's going to be advising uh, CDL students and drivers about their trucking careers. Uh, he has, uh, uh, he's, he did one of the presentations last year. He did a tremendous job at his pr- presentation, and uh, he he knows uh, a lot about the industry. He's been on Blog Talk Radio with us a few times and he advises drivers and students on their career path um, advises different companies so you're definitely going to want to have some one-on-one with him at the convention uh, when you go there Uh, we'll be having the making a difference award which is now the jason rivenberg making a difference award Uh, it's posted on facebook where you can vote for the one you feel has made the most impact on the trucking industry this year Last year, the winner was Hope Rivenberg. Uh, that was for her dedication to truckers and the really endless commitment that she made uh, for more safe truck parking. So uh, she'll be there. Hope will be attending again as our special guest, and she will be passing the torch on uh, to present the award to the new winner. So you're going to want to... Um, nominate someone we've we've got a lot of nominations there is one person who is just really getting a tremendous amount of nominations i'm not going to say who that person is uh but what will happen is the top the top five people nominated will then um be voted on and and that's how we get the uh the winner of this so we'll have we'll have a link up on ask the trucker too just in case you're not on facebook to vote for this to get the link to vote, so um, it'll be easy for you just to go to askthetrucker.com. Our speakers this year, again, are Kyla Lieber, co-founder of Truckers Against Trafficking. She'll be speaking about human trafficking awareness and how it relates to social media. Trucking Employment Law Attorney Paul Taylor of Truckers Justice Center. Rich Wilson, a regulatory expert, will be speaking about the CDL training and the truck driver shortage. And also, um, we're going to be having uh, trucking regulations, truck driver health, and trucking social media. If you are interested in being a sponsor for the Trucking Social Media event, you can send us an email at info at truckingsocialmedia.com, or you can call us at 352-505-8162. And uh, that's about it for announcements for tonight, Alan. Well, boy, you're so mellow. You must have had a glass of gin or something. Oh, I, I know. I, I am a little mellow tonight. I, I, I think I'm just uh, totally drained is what it is. Oh, yeah. Well, I know the feeling. 
Uh, all right. Well, that's okay. That's cool. Okay, good announcements. Our, um, okay, listen, our guests this evening, Richard Wilson and Todd Dills, who attended the recent MixAC meeting on sleep apnea, cross-border trucking, and EOBR recommendations, and they were keeping everyone up to date as it happened by sending out messages on Facebook and tweets on Twitter, using the uh, social media outlets, keeping everyone informed on what was happening live as the committee was taking place, and we'll find out what was said, what the recommendations were, how they may affect you as a CMV driver. So a lot coming up. Stay with us as we talk about the Medical Review Board on sleep apnea and EOBRs this evening on Truth About Trucking Live. Now I get to play the right back. Hang with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. I hear from a lot of newcomers to the industry who still have that entrepreneur spirit that has made the United States of America the great country that she is. And many of them still have one goal in mind, and that is to someday have their own rig and become an owner-operator. Truth About Trucking Live is all about providing honest, reliable information about the OTR trucking industry, especially for those just beginning their truck driving careers. Running your own trucking business is part of the entrepreneurial spirit that has kept America moving since truck were first used by the military in World War I. If you're considering starting your own owner-operated business, there's only one name that you need to know, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing. LoneMountainTruck.com offers the best lease purchase plans in the industry. There's no huge balloon payment at the end, and when you make that final monthly payment, they hand over the title, The Truck is Yours. They require a very reasonable down payment, and the monthly payments are kept at an affordable $1,000 per month and sometimes even less. A great inventory to choose from, including Peterbilt's, Volvo's, Internationals, and Freightliners, and all of their trucks are mechanically checked out, dependable, and ready to go to work. And unlike trucking company leases, if you choose to change motor carriers, the truck goes with you. It's your truck. Check them out at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free, 866-512-5685. LoneMountainTruck.com, the honest guys for the sweet lease deals. LoneMountainTruck.com. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with our guest, Richard Wilson, safety and compliance expert with Trans Products and Trans Services. Richard, welcome back to the show. Hey, good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Doing good. Glad to have you here. And and also with us, senior editor of Overdrive Magazine, Todd Dills. Todd, glad to have you back. 
Good to be here, Alan. Mitch, good to get to talk with you again. Uh, hey, yeah. how you doing, Todd? <laughs> Batman. Yeah, we're uh, glad to have you both here and uh, get some more information about this uh, committee meeting that you guys been to. So, uh, Todd, let's start with you. It seems like, um, I mean, this talk about sleep apnea and EOBRs just continues to be an ongoing thing within industry. I mean, you were at the meeting. Was it just the same old talking points, or did as a as a trucking journalist, did anything new jump out at you? Well, um, well a few things. Um... I mean, the the I guess the important point to take from from what happened uh, at this last meeting is uh, that basically you have you have uh, this committee putting a you know a final uh, report into FMGSA with a set of recommendations that are you know that committees and and that with the medical review board as well uh, it's it's their sort of best uh, attempt at basically laying out uh, various conditions and, and, and language that could theoretically be used as uh, future regulation. So you can you can sort of expect uh, the FMCSA to, uh, once they you know, move down the path toward, toward actual rulemaking on this, um, to kind of follow that pretty closely. And so you, uh, or, or at least, you know, start, start from there. They have something solid. It's, it's language. It's, it's down, and they can they can work from that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, basically, it's a lot a lot of the same kind of things that we've heard about over the last, uh, particularly since the medical review board and the uh, MixEC uh, started meeting together back in uh, December, uh, and, and a little before actually too. Um, we've, well, we've I thought about, it was. We've heard I'm, about the uh, the thirty five. Uh, uh, body mass index cut off as a as a number above which all drivers will have to be tested uh as an idea and that they did they did you know put forward that recommendation um, and one thing that is is sort of important to understand is that what what they they did include in their recommendations conditional certification that, that would go along with that uh you know while a driver is being tested can continue to drive. Um, you know, as long as um, as long as certain other conditions aren't filled, and yeah, it, at least that seems at least reasonable. But um, I guess you know the most important thing to take out of this is that is you know it's, it's inching closer toward um, toward reality, uh, for better or worse. Yeah, I think uh, I mean I know they had ten recommendations. Uh, some of them I don't think we really need to go over. Uh, I right. think the, rec- the recommendations you were just talking about was recommendation three for the conditions for certification and the recommendation right. four, well, which is conditional certification, which has to do with a 35 BMI. But the, the recommendations I'm going to try to go over tonight, uh, unless, you know, unless you or Rich wants, you know, think I'm missing something here, recommendations two, three, four, and six, um, uh, I think that's pretty important for uh, – uh, the listeners and drivers out there to know. Uh, well, Richard, how about sure. from your perspective, any one thing that really caught your attention? Uh, <clears throat> no, really. The, 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 like Todd and I were discussing, one of the biggest problems I can see into it is reality of the cost of what it's going to be per person to have these tests. Um, I, um, I, you know, since the since the meeting, 
uh, I had been working out in, in, in Texas, in Louisiana, and I stopped by the Hampstead Truck Stop in Hampstead Road in Houston, Texas, one night for dinner and did kind of a tabletop lunchroom uh, survey study, uh, which I think is probably, in my case, was probably uh, more of a reliable study than what the lady from the University of Pennsylvania did, because <laughs> I sat in a restaurant from about 5.30, quarter to 6, until about 8.45 to 9 o'clock, and I counted 104 truck drivers that came through the door or already were in there. And out of the ones I counted, at least uh, 62 of them probably had a BMI of 35, 34. Um, <clears throat> 51 of them were over the age of 40. Um, and the other ones I couldn't tell because they looked like they had been road hard and put up wet, so they could have been 28 and looked like they were 40. So basically looking at what I looked at, about 83% of the drivers that came into that restaurant that night would have met the criteria of, you know, being pre-diagnosed or having a pre-diagnosed conception of having um, um, sleep apnea. Now, based on just the uh, information of age, body weight, size, um, there was a gentleman there who is from the uh, National Association of School Bus Operators who is a very well-fit man, uh, very thin, and he had been diagnosed with sleep apnea. But here I am, and everybody knows me, I'm 6'4", I weigh 275 pounds and have a size 20 neck, and yet I have been, I have been tested three times and neither one of the three times have I come forward with sleep apnea, and I'm over 40, I'm fat, and I should have it. So I think that first thing I come out of it was, and Todd, I think you'll agree with me, <clears throat> is the is the statistics that they were using and, and that they were presenting to this were tainted studies. Number one, they couldn't find any drivers to participate, so they just kind of went out and grabbed a bunch of people that said they were drivers or opened it up. They went on the Internet. They, they offered to bring people in. Um, and then I don't think they really they really had a handle on what the actual cost to the individual drivers. Um, you know, we discussed this, and I discussed this with uh, Todd Spencer as well. You know, there's the, uh, the assumption to me was at the meeting that everybody has health insurance or – that these tests are very reasonable and well within a couple hundred, three hundred dollars. Um, I went on and, and, and just, you know, not any kind of a, a you know, segregated or, or important study and found out that, that, you know, most of the people that I talked to, you know, either had high deductibles or had no, had no health insurance. So it's, they got to pay for it. So, if they're riding down the road and they use these body mass index, they use the neck size, they use that, uh, I can't remember the name of it, it's got a funny name where they look down your throat and your throat, you know, it's there's like a one, two, mm -hmm. three, four, five. Uh, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah I'm looking at the things they're looking here, um, uh, what they're, what they're going to use to, you know, evaluate a person, a driver for this and, some of it's pretty odd. I mean, they're going to check. Uh, I mean, first of all, it's saying medical examiners are going to have to screen all drivers for sleep apnea. Um, they're going to have to fill out a questionnaire. 
They're going to look for symptoms that include loud snoring, witnessed apnea, sleeping, sleepiness during major wake period. I have that all the time. Um, yeah. And they're going to look at um, uh, if you have a small or recessed jaw. They're going to look at males if they have a neck size of 17 inch or more, females 15 and a half inches or more. Uh, other factors they'll be looking at if you're over 40, if you're age 42 and over. Uh, the small airway, Richard, like you were just talking about, family history. Here's one exper- Here's one that's interesting. Uh, they're going to look and see if you've experienced a single vehicle crash. Right. So, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, the was, so. Was it, uh, it was between the hour. If you have a single vehicle accident between the hours of 5 a.m. and 10. Yeah. Because that states that you didn't get a good night's sleep. Right. And there's a lot of there's a lot of disagreement over over that as I recall too. I mean, uh, and also on the um, unlike the, a lot of the evidence, like Rich was talking about, a lot of the other panel members agreed that uh, this a lot of this uh, like the, the the sort of studies that they have on sleep apnea uh, and its sort of connection to crash risk. Uh, won't really pass the regulatory smell test, I guess, because they don't. Uh, the large majority of them don't involve commercial drivers at all. So right. it's, it's kind of uh, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of um, gray areas and and you know, uh, uh, sort of areas uh, or a lot of you know things that are unsettled about all of this and. You know, it's it's probably a good likelihood that a lot of this, at the same time, while, while it is inching closer to being a reality, a lot of it won't uh, won't become reality very quickly. Although, um, the uh, the FMCC representative that uh, Larry Miner did uh, make uh, did tell tell me and, and another gentleman that the uh, the interim guidance that they issued back in um, back in or that they recommended back in December uh, could be expected to come up for uh, public comment and be on a faster track fairly soon, he said, in the spring. So that's something that uh, the drivers listening out there will want to weigh in on when it uh, and when it gets out there. And uh, we'll for sure broadcast that information once it's, once it's available to be commented on because it, it basically would sort of very quickly adopt the 35 BMI uh, screening cutoff uh, and require everybody to be tested before you know the full regulation. Uh, yeah, they're, I mean they're getting really they're getting really personal here. I'm looking, and this is under the conditional certification, which is recommendation four by the medical review board. Mm-hmm. They have other factors here that they're going to be looking for. Is if is if uh, uh, if you're a male or postmenopausal female. So <laughs> I mean they're really well, they're really a, get they're really uh, getting in there. And Donna. Donna, you wanted you wanted to say something a minute ago. What were you going to say? Well, I can't remember uh, because I, I'm kind of looking at a bunch of stuff. But I do. Well, jump in here. Okay, I do want to say that um, during all the the meetings in February, I believe it was the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth that these meetings took place. With the sixth and seventh being um, for uh, sleep apnea, the sixth, and I believe EOBRs on the seventh, along with the NAFTA. But anyway, uh, Todd, you had some great articles. You must have like come home and just started posting articles and updates on all these. 
Um, what can you give everybody the your your blog uh, URL where they can um, look up these? Uh, you know, so they're listening to it now, but they can really get the oh, daylight. Yeah, sure. What yeah, is that? Uh, it's, it's the channel IT blogs overdriveonline.com uh, slash channel IT, and those posts are actually I did them um, at the while I was in DC. Uh, it was a, it was quite a it's quite a, a full full few days of work. Uh, I think one night the the first night I think I I uh, stayed up. Until about eleven thirty, writing the stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, anyway, it was, it was, a it was great. Day, but uh, that, I think that's I think the dates are yeah, it's like the February sixth, and then uh, a post on the seventh or the eighth uh, are the two uh, blog posts that are that have the most information about the actual recommendations in them. So you can kind of see what what was uh, what was put forward, and you kind of get some. Uh, background about what went on in the room throughout the day. But, uh, well, what we did was we took all your tweets. I have 50 right. of them in front of me that you tweeted while you were also at this uh, at this How meeting. Many I have 54, but there might okay. be more. I mean, you know. I, I think there was about 2,716. No, I <laughs> <laughs> 223. Yeah, I, yeah, I <laughs> uh, he was tweeting away. Now you had other tweets. I'm just talking about like the updates on what was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you had other tweets going on in between all that, so you very well could have had a hundred tweets, you know. But um, and I could have missed some because I was I was the one who was copying and pasting and and uh, putting them down. But, okay. but what I, I want to bring up about this is. Um, I mean, this is this is pretty incredible because see, there's a lot of drivers who who a they can't attend even if they wanted to. They're on a different, you know, they're they're driving. They're in California sure. or somewhere. And uh, the uh, the other part is, you know, the the fact that they can have live coverage of what's going on. Do you see this as um, a new pa- platform for people to to be journalists to be attending? And now to be having live coverage of what's going on because we were really impressed by that. Um, I know Rich when he went, he did it too, perhaps not to the extreme that you did, but I mean anybody who wanted to know what was going on that day of the meetings um, really had full full coverage. So do you see this as a new platform? Is this something you're going to be doing yourself, attending or uh, people from Overdrive or Truckers News? I mean, so I'll, I mean, I'll certainly do as much as I can. And I mean, I, it's not the, of course, the not the first time that I've done uh, that kind of live tweeting thing. But, you know, in this case, it was a particularly fruitful uh, uh, meeting to be doing this at because of the just just the range of viewpoints on a very on very important issues in the in the room at this. You know, and and, and the fact that you know the, the 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 event carries the meeting carries weight. And so it's uh, you know it, it limited itself to doing it, uh, and they had internet access in there, so I could sit there with my laptop while I'm taking notes, and I could do it pretty efficiently. But I also did it at the uh, at the truck driver uh, social media meeting to no, you to did as well. Um, but, um, so the problem you know, there was we didn't have the Wi-Fi. I mean, yeah. did you, were you able to get yours out? We had so many people. I used it, I used my phone. It was more difficult, but uh, I did it. Oh, okay. 
This year, this year, by the way, Harris, and this is incredible because usually this costs a fortune, uh, is giving us uh, Wi-Fi in the meeting room. Yeah. And I yeah. did it a guest. I did it a guest to a certain degree as well. Um, I ended up meeting with, uh, doing a lot of press conferences and and just um, interviews with people and such. But um, I mean, yeah, this and you know, it's not of course unprecedented in other areas. And some you know, different events lend themselves more to this kind of thing. And I think, but I do think these uh, these motor carrier safety advisory committee meetings are as, as Rich has pointed out so many times. Uh, uh, you know they they're like uh, they they give you a very clear idea about um, you know the 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 some of some of the most important viewpoints that the, the FMCSA is going to get uh, a lot of stakeholders in the room or people that the FMCSA wants to hear from the FMCSA hears from all the time uh, they're uh, you know trade groups and lobbying organizations law enforcement people um, and for you know for for drivers. Um, just uh, to give them a window into that, um, you know, is one thing, and then there's also the you know the opportunity to uh, at least you know feel like or not not feel like, but to, to actually participate in the process that way. That way, when when this stuff comes up for public comment, uh, or you know, in the event that a driver can get to one of these meetings, uh, hopefully, if I'm able to get to these things and do this on a regular basis, uh, I probably won't be able to do it all the time every time, but uh, important ones. Hopefully, I, I can get there, and uh, that way, at least once once they go, they'll they'll be able to have a pretty good handle on what went on. At the last one, you know, come to the hopefully come to the uh, to their commentary, uh, you know, and to their attempt at uh, influencing the regu- uh, regulatory uh, sort of environment uh, with you know, just more more behind it, uh, or as much you know as much as they can, I guess. But uh, over else, you know. Yeah, I enjoy doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah go I ahead, Richard. Um, I want to I want to thank Todd um, because Todd brought credibility to reporting, and this has been one of the problems with this. Um, is you've had, uh, uh, you know, we really haven't had somebody there with his expertise and and knowledge and understanding of uh, uh, reporting and journalism. And you know, I'm I'm a driver. I'm not a typer. And the fact is that I could actually this time sit there because I sat next to Todd, and he was just going crazy on his laptop typing and sending messages, and he was get, sending information out there because this is the kind of things like we talked about in Tunica. You know, if we get notification and we can get it out there in the very early stages of administration and and rulemaking and and regulatory. Then you know through Todd's hard work and labor, and I mean the man worked hard. I, I, I got to say that for, you know for somebody that 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 you know hits a computer and, and my computer spelling is terrible. Thank God for spell check, but it takes me three times to write the article. Those articles get out there just like right now. I mean before in the history of regulations, it's always been after the fact it comes out and we sit around and discuss it. We now have the availability to public you know, information that these drivers actually read. They read Overdrive magazine. They read this, social media. They're getting the the copies and pastes of these articles, and they can be well aware of it. So when it does come out in a uh, uh, a notice of of rulemaking or a notice of comments, 
that they can be more educated, they can understand better what's exactly happening, answer with facts, and it's just like, you know, uh, uh, if this comes out into a um, uh, notice of proposed rule, I mean a comment session, they can actually, if they are in that category of BMI of 35, or they do have a neck size of 20, and say that they are forced by a doctor to go get uh, a, a, a test, a sleep apnea test, and they pass it, then they can pass a copy of that on. You know, they can block their name out or whatever, you know, any any information that's, uh, uh, you know, proprietary. But, you know, they can they can attach that to their comment and send it in and say, look, I'm this size and I don't have it, you know, because right. what's going to happen is we got so many people in our industry right now I'm sorry, but if you look at the guidelines that they're establishing to, 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 to dictate or to diagnose a person, it's our entire industry. And I got up in, in one of my, 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 my you know, I get, you get three minutes to talk. And, boy, I'll tell you what, when you got as much to say as what I do, that's hard. But, you know, <laughs> when I got up and I gave my talk about it, I said, you know, we're not talking just, you know, you look out there in the room and you and you imagine this big orange tractor trailer. Everything is all based on over-the-road drivers. No, we're talking people that drive 10,001 pounds or greater. We're talking about the entire infrastructure of plumbers, uh, landscapers. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have retired from over-the-road and have gone and run local. And these guys are the ones that probably are working for companies that don't have health insurance and that are going to have to pay this. And the average cost of this test is, you know, it's $800 or greater. Now they were trying to say there you can buy a CPAP machine for 200 and some dollars. I looked them up, and the cheapest one I found was 800 How much was yours, uh, Alan? About 700 was it? Yeah, I think about seven seven fifty. Yeah, okay. So so 7750 still. They also brought up the fact that there's a dental device that has proven to work and and they said that they do not accept that. Yeah, the so, committee uh yeah, the, the You know, it seems kind of... like they're 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 I don't know. I I I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it, it's awful funny with the new system that's coming out on regulatory guidelines on certification of medical uh, uh, um, examiners that can do these tests and being basically, let's face it, it's going to end up being like occupational health centers. Well, the doctors are smart enough. They're going to build a sleep apnea sleep center right next to the occupational health center. And they're going to sit there and they're going to send everybody over. And the problem is if you go and you spend the money, you have the test, you're not diagnosed with it, you don't get any reimbursement for it. I mean, that's money that's out of your pocket. And, you know, that's just the whole thing about it is this group is so overweighted with with high, with high professionals, uh, law enforcement especially, that aren't experts in medical, and they bring these experts in medical in, and the ones they bring in are all pro-sleep apnea. And one thing was told to me by the, um, uh, the director of the Virginia uh, uh, Truck Enforcement Division, was and we were outside having a little what we called our break meeting, and he said the sleep study that we've been waiting for that for like ten years to come out to prove what the uh, circadian rhythm of true restful sleep is. When the 
sleep study was made during the sleep apnea um, um, studies, it was found out that the sleep study that came out that the circadian rhythm is not eight to ten hours of sleep, but in actuality is six to five. And he said that goes against everything that the FMCSA used as far as documentation under their reports on to the from Advocates for Highway Safety on the 10-hour and the 34-hour break and everything mm-hmm. else, and all the documents they used was false and, un, and unreliable information. So there you go. There you got a cop that even says that, that news came out of this. Okay. Well, I want to I get back on, on with these recommendations that you all heard at the meetings. We talked about uh, Recommendation 4, which was the uh, conditional certification as well as recommendation three. Now, recommendation two, and then we'll move on to six. Recommendation two was as they were talking about drivers with any of the following should should be disqualified immediately or denied uh, CDL certification. And uh, they have three here: experience a crash associated with falling asleep, uh, have been found non-compliant in treatment. You know of uh, of um, sleep apnea. And the third one I find interesting, uh, drivers should be disqualified immediately or denied certification if they report excessive sleepiness during the major wake period while driving. Yeah, um, it's, very, uh, it's very subjective, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what, what's going to say that the driver is going to report it? Uh, no, it's, it's just uh, that one's just full of uh, all kinds of mess for sure. Yeah, so. yeah, I agree with Todd. Mess is a good word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's unenforceable or something. Like it's just, well, yeah, uh, it's, basically, it's basically getting between the doctor and the uh, and the driver, right? Like it's like like a guy can't a guy can't like talk uh, um, honestly about like the everyday realities of life. You know, I mean, God, everybody who drives gets sleepy at some point, right? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, even even the wording under recommendation two, drivers with any of the following should be. Well, I mean, should they be or will they be? They argued that point. Did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they argued shoulda, woulda, coulda. Well, yeah, why would they put should be in there? Because well, cause, they, cause they're not, because uh, it, there's a lot of disagreement on it, I think, is what the end result was. Like, there's a lot of disagreement on that, so they don't say... They don't want to make it totally like blanket. They just want to say, um, we think this. That's kind of my recollection of it. Um, not looking at my, you know, of course, exact notes on, on all of this, but um, I think uh, I, I think they're just putting it in the language of a of a of a, of a recommendation rather than a rule. Um, yeah, well, I guess it is just wording, wording, and just uh, I mean, it's just wording and recommendations for you know for right now, I yeah. guess. Let me grab yeah. this. This might be patches here. I haven't heard from him in a long time. I'm not for sure, but caller yeah. from Delaware, area code three zero two. Let's let's grab you and get you in here real quick. Caller from three zero two. Okay, well, he missed his turn. Okay, well, I, yeah, I guess it's just the wording and the uh, just the way they're doing it. But that's recommendation two that you should be disqualified for those. Yeah. Recommendation three has to do with uh, drivers may be granted conditional certification per recommendation four. So you go over to recommendation four, 
And, you know, I'm looking at here, and here's here's the information I want to make sure that our listeners hear, because a lot of drivers don't know this. Um, uh, if you have a BMI, and then we'll get more into sleep apnea, but if you have a, if you're a driver with a BMI of, uh, I guess, 35 or more, you, you can be certified for 60 days pending a sleep study and treatment. Uh, within 60 days, if a driver being treated with sleep apnea is compliant with treatment, the driver may receive additional 90-day conditional certification. And after 90 days, if you, the driver, are still compliant with treatment, then you may be certified for no more than one year and future certification dependent on continued compliance. So, Richard, your comments on all that. Um, that means that basically if you go in, they give you a sleep study, they find out you have sleep apnea, they can put you on a CPAP machine or whatever, and you go back after 60 days, You and the only way that you can actually prove that the uh, uh, prescription time that they have put you on has been successful is to pay for another test, and then at the end of 90 days, you know, if you continue at that and you don't have, haven't had any problems, then they can extend it, just like with the uh, uh, hypertension, to a year. The thing is, every right. year when you come back in to get your recertification, um, and this was discussed, you could possibly re be required to have a uh, sleep study test every year. Right, every well, year. That's, uh, I think, go ahead, I think Todd. That, I think that the duplication of tests is probably um, uh, un is probably unlikely if, as long as the driver, uh, you know, the theoretical driver here is is still using the CPAP machine, because basically you don't you don't have to have another test if if the CPAP is set up right and they can just download the information off of it and you know see that you've been using it uh, regularly. Um, so that that's one thing. Yeah, and they did talk about that though. Like if there's a guy that that had that had treatment and then. You know, he's, he's still over 35, and maybe he's not using the CPAP anymore. Yeah, every, he's, every year he's, he's going to have to have another sleep study. Just, just, okay, and driver, dri drivers, listen up. Other factors that they're going to be looking at is hypertension that Richard just mentioned, type 2 diabetes, and hypothyroidism. Donna, what the heck is that? Is that your thyroid? Yeah, that's when you, uh, if you have, is it hypo or hyper? It must be hypo. Hy Hypothyroidism. If you have a, a sluggish thyroid, because your thyroid, um, you know, well, it does a lot of regulation in your body, uh, and especially, you know, it can make you very tired uh, if you have a sluggish thyroid. Um, so I guess they're they're going to look at that, too. I mean, it, it establishes your metabolism and and all kinds of things, but um, yeah, I mean, but you know, you, you could probably, if you really wanted to dig into it, I mean, you could start testing adrenal glands and, um, and all kinds of things, so uh, it, it's just kind of weird. I, I will say this, that there is going to be a rulemaking on this um, uh, open for public comment, and if it's any like, anything like uh, the participation that took place on the HOS over at the FMCSA site. Um, I think I think there's going to be quite a bit of uh, interaction going on over there with with drivers. At least I hope oh, yeah. there will. Be. I think so. Well, um, definitely. Yeah. Well, because because of Todd, the fact is that we're getting the word out now. 
in the preliminaries and and because of Alan and, and Donna with this radio show, uh, this is what needs to be done. This is the kind of stuff with any regulatory um, issues and from this ground level is where we get the information. And this this is almost historic if you think about it because, you know, Mixac was always that quiet little uh, bunch of guys that sat around the table in Washington making up uh, suggestions and ideas, and they were in their own little world. And since people like myself, Todd, um, Fred, and people like that have showed up at these things now. Even the Mixac committee is aware of this. And Todd, I'm going to ask you this: since you were there for this one, did you notice the reaction of the committees? The fact that they knew that there was um, people reporting on this, and even some of the decisions that were made across the board. Uh, was almost as if they were taking in consideration the fact that this information was going to be getting out there. Well, I, I don't know because I uh, the only other um, one of those meetings that I participated in was via webcast, and obviously if it's webcast, they know that people are watching it and they publicize it. Um, and, uh, and so I I didn't know the difference, but. But there were, I did have a funny little uh, interaction with uh, a couple of the members, well, the guy, uh, Rob from ATA, and um, I believe it was the uh, the Mar- Maryland police officer. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. But, um, uh, Dort- Dortemeyer. Yeah, yeah, b- yeah. Bill, yeah, Bill Dortemeyer. Anyway, um, talking about how uh, one of the FMCSA guys uh, who, who was coming to do the cross-border uh, cross-border presentation, like the, the last day that I was there, uh, made note of the fact that he was he was following everything that was going on on Twitter. <laughs> oh, really? And, uh, and he's, he was like, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Channel 19 Todd. He's, he's doing it. He's, he's, he's telling me everything that's going on. And, uh, and and they were both like, really? You know, like like totally like astounded or something. Uh, and then I was like, yep, that's me, guys. Why? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's funny. That's uh, let's try to here. I've got another three hundred two number. It might be the same person. Let's try to get some callers in here. They're lining up here. Uh, yes. If you're calling from Delaware, area code three hundred two seven five two. You're uh, uh, just dropped off. Let's try another one here. We'll try the other Delaware three hundred two three three nine. Go ahead. Yeah, Alan, it's me. Hey, how's it going? I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, yeah, I've been kind of on the sidelines. Was that you but, on the other number? Yeah, that was me. I was trying to have them at the same time. Okay, <laughs> good. We got we got you. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Most of these tests, are, uh, they've got to be done in a uh, certified sleep study area. That's at the hospital. That's going to cost you a thousand grand, a thousand bucks right from the get go. Yeah. And if you do have it, you've got three other tests to go through, and each one of them's a thousand bucks. Well, yeah. I don't know, Alan. Well, no. uh, yeah, you can you can do them from home. No, you can't. Yeah, no, he did. I did. You can't do it anymore. Yeah, you can't. No, no, yeah, you you can do it. What they'll do is they they'll ship they'll ship the uh, CPAP machine right to your house, and you do it there, and then you box it back up and everything, and and. Not the CPAP, Alan. They do the um, the testing kit. The testing kit. That's what I mean. And then and then you. Uh, Send them the chip back, and they read all the data off of that. 
Well, Alan, I've when you had that. that done, did they uh, did they put a collar on you or or type of a device or like a wristband so uh, they could prove that the actual data was coming from you? Yeah, yeah. I had a uh, what were they called, Don? I had them all hooked to me. Oh, I yeah, had, I, I, I had one of those you know those little things that you clip to your clip to the end of your finger, mm-hmm. your pulse. You gotta read your pulse and stuff. Yeah, but he's talking about like an identification to prove it was you. That I don't know, Rich. Well, the 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 chip had the chip that they sent me that came with the machine had an identification number, and then when I sent it, I had to I had to fill it out, write down the number, and sign it and verify that 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 number on the chip, you know, corresponds with oh. me. And they had a way of doing it. Yeah, well, Todd knows what I'm talking about because they were discussing the home test units. And the accuracy of the home test units, because you could, if you know that Donna doesn't have uh, sleep apnea, what's to say you don't hook that machine up to Donna? That's it. Yeah, I, I just hope drivers don't do that, you know, because the sleep. This, I mean, if you really do have sleep apnea, this is a serious thing. But they brought it up, right, Todd. I agree. I'm, I'm going to agree with you, but here in Delaware, you've it's got to be done at a certified location. Like I said. And you got to have three of them done if you they say you do have, and you got all kinds of wires attached to your skull, all kinds to your heart and everything. I have to agree with Patches because that's Nanticoke Memorial Hospital, right, Patches? You got it. And then well, I guess every, around, I, I guess every, I get. Hold on a second, Patches. I guess every state. Um, I guess every state could. I mean, have variations to the rule, but that yeah. certainly wasn't the yeah. way. Certainly wasn't the way here in Florida, but go ahead, Patches. Well, see, the thing is, I did. I, they ordered me a sleep apnea machine. Now I got it, and I passed the test. Then I, w- I had to go in and have another test where you sit in a room for two hours doing nothing. You are allowed to watch the boob tube. Then they set you in a chair, see how long it takes you to fall asleep. Really? Now, that's stupid, because <laughs> a truck driver... How long is he going to be sitting, driving down the road, with nothing to occupy his mind? And I mean, you can't bring squat in there. They take everything away from you, including your keys. That's where I had my test done, was Nanticoke. So you know exactly what I'm going through. Yeah, and I passed it all three times. And, you know, the the doctor, the, the respiratory cardiac physician and sleep specialist, came in and told me, because of my size, and everybody look at the picture, they can see how fat I am, um, the, the, the guy came in there and said, this is no way should you not have sleep apnea. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but I don't. Now, I snore like hell, but I don't have sleep apnea. So I went through that test, and Patches is right. Now, they give you three tests, and that he's very he's very serious because I was sitting there watching Speed and they came in and changed the channel and put public television on and the nurse <laughs> told me they wanted something on TV that was boring and deliberately tried to get me to fall asleep in the chair. Well, as soon as they told me that, there was no way I was going to fall asleep. Right. Okay, well here's here here's what they have here's what they have under. Uh, uh, I wasn't touch on this, but patches, you kind of uh, you kind of brought this up now, but it's under recommendation five, method of diagnosis and severity. So the methods that they can use to test for um, sleep apnea is a in laboratory 
in-laboratory test, like you're talking about, an at-home test, or an FDA-approved limited-channel ambulatory testing device. Now, they even say in here that the in-home sleep study may be underestimated, so the medical examiner should use clinical judgment when interpreting results of an unattended sleep study. But Richard or, or Todd, whoever wants to jump in, I mean, they do give uh, three methods yeah. of study there. They open, I mean, they kind of left the door open for future um, uh, methods of, of diagnosis and stuff, too, with that third with that third one, and I mean, I think in, in that regard, they're they're trying to be fair about it, and uh, um, and yeah, you know, they did they did leave leave those open. So I mean, the home test, they talked a lot about those, and, and they talked about them at the previous meeting as well. What they're concerned mostly about is the sort of chain of quote unquote chain of custody stuff, where they can they can make it so that uh, where they can totally be able to verify that it was actually the driver that took the test and not somebody else. Yeah, and Richard, they're giving a lot of power to the they're giving a lot of power to the doctor because it says if the if the doctor believes the level of apnea is greater than the level reported by the in-home study, the doctor should consider recommending an in in laboratory test. Yeah. Right. And one of the things they did say was that they have the technology now to put like a wrist collar or a, 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 a run around your neck that they lock on, uh, you know, you lock it on, um, and then uh, you can they can you can do the test at home. And what it does is you can't take that collar off. They have to take it off, the, you know, the bracelet or the yeah. or the neckband, and that that data will show that every you know they'll like plug a wire into it, so it's tied in with the machine, so the machine knows it's you that's taking the test. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then the the final recommendation here, or one out of ten, we're not going over all, recommendation six, treatment, and uh, it says all the dental, The left out dental appliances, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting because the American Academy of Sleep uh, uh, Medicine, I believe is what it's called, actually, uh, you know, kind of views, views the dental treatment as, as uh, acceptable, but a lot of the folks on the panel are you know, these uh, pulmonary type specialists, and and they were really sort of dismissive of a lot of the a lot of the data coming from the from the dental appliances that that are a lot cheaper than uh, buying CPAP machines and uh, and dealing with all that, um, and, and apparently you know works a lot of guys, and it's the guys that they do work for. So yeah, I don't. I was a little bit. Uh, Certain members of the committee were were also quite uh, uh, in, in disagreement about that, uh, particularly some of the some of the trucking uh, trucking company representatives were sort of at the very end of the meeting. I believe one of them, uh, the gentleman from Danny from Clark Freight Lines, uh, sort of put in a formal sort of word that he sort of disagreed with excluding those devices because they kind of shut the door on a little too hard or something. Well, I mean, they're saying that the uh, the PAP is the preferred therapy for uh, sleep apnea uh, yeah. and drivers. Uh, Maybe the only one, right, except for, you know, losing weight. Well, or... Yeah, I mean, some of these words are pretty big. They a- Adequate uh, adequate 
uh, PAP pressure should be established through one of the following titration study with polysomnography, auto titration system. <laughs> uh, okay, well, you almost got to be a doctor to read this that. stuff. It says a driver who has been disqualified may be conditionally certified if successfully treated for one week and the driver can demonstrate at least minimal compliance, four hours, a use of 70% of nights, and the driver does not report excessive sleepiness during major wake periods. So, Richard, there's that other thing the driver doesn't report. Uh, yeah, uh, he's going to run right in and lose his job because he's going to say he's tired. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I see a lot of problem with this thing here. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, it's, it's uh, messy. Like those things for sure are real messy. Yeah, I know. So, uh, well, a lot, a lot of information here now. Now, where can where can drivers go to to see these recommendations that uh, that we're reading off here? Well, right now, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that the that the report from Mixac has been posted to their site yet. So um, my my drafting of, of what they did, and there are some, there are probably going to be discrepancies in the final report and what I took down the day that they, they finished it up. But those are on my, uh, I think it's the February 6th post on the Channel 19 blog, which is overdriveonline.com backslash channel 19, channel 19. Okay, overdriveonline.com forward slash channel 19, and you can find Todd's uh, article there that uh, where you list a lot of this down there, right? Yeah, February sixth. Uh, February sixth. Yeah, that's the date it went up, so it's, it's on there. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Alan. Uh huh. Also, also you can go to the site mcsac.fmcse.dot.gov and click under meetings and past meetings. Uh, you'll see where it has announcements, agenda, final report to task force, EOB, driver harassment, uh, MIXAC, MRB, February 12th, meeting task uh, 1105, task statements, and eventually the minutes for the uh, uh, committee meeting will be posted on that site. Yeah, that, eventually, yeah. We have that link on the Ask the Trucker blog. They can just click where it says... Uh, the Mixac meetings, and then go directly to where um, Rich just said you to go, said for you to go. No. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. Related documents like um, MRB meeting summary, um, and you can follow, you can actually click on the reports and the summaries that were presented and get a better educational idea of what's going on. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, time's shooting by here. Let me get some more callers in here. I want to get as much information on this show as I can. Let's run. Let's jump over to Minnesota, area code 612. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, Alan, Donna, Richard, and uh, Todd. Hello. Good, uh, Hi. Good to be listening to you all. This is Mark. And oh, Mark. let me get pulled hey, over here nice and safe. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, glad you guys are uh, talking about the uh, EOBRs and the sleep apnea tonight, too. Uh, very relevant uh, subject. Yeah, we're going to touch on the EOBRs here, but, yeah, go ahead. Yep. I've uh, got sleep apnea. I was uh, diagnosed with that uh, a few years before I even started trucking in 2007. And since I've had a CPAP, I tell you, it's, uh, it has improved the quality of my life, as they, as they say, you know, as far as getting more rest, feeling more rested. Uh, it hasn't made my sleep apnea disappear. 
I think I still get tired during the day more than the average person does. Uh, uh-huh. My buddies that I talk to. Um, but uh, it, it's a real thing. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this industry that are pushing it, people in there to try to make money and all of that. Uh, all of that's true, and I think it makes some people skeptical about whether sleep apnea is really an issue for some people. But, uh, you know, oh, it I definitely is. Really, I, yeah, yeah, I can definitely say that it is, too. And, jeez, uh, I don't know. Um, well, it's... it's- it's just the fact of what you said, you know, just trying to push it for the wrong reasons. You know, there's an awful lot of things right now being claimed in the name of safety. And as long as you attach that those words to it, you know, it seems to have uh, people will embrace that much more readily, especially if it's, if it's uh, brought out to the general public. On the other hand, uh, to to put drivers to measure or to create the criteria uh, for who has sleep apnea and to create that. And when you're doing that, you're actually omitting a lot of other people who may have it. And saying that, yes, this is a serious disease, uh, you're really eliminating a lot of um, you know, lean, thin people who may have it, and you're just focusing on a certain group. So, uh, you know, it. I do wonder, you know, how much of this is motivated by the um, financial aspect of it, and how much is the safety. So, if 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 we could just establish that and go from there, I think the uh, recommendations would be a lot more realistic. It's discrimination for fat people like me. That's pretty much what so. it amounts to. I mean, I mean, I don't mean that to you, but I meant that's what what. It, no, I'm, I'm only kidding. I, uh, my yeah, one question that one one question that remains about all the you know the, the recommendations that were put forward is like a is a guy who you know has a has a BMI of 35 or more. Um, and I don't think they really address this in the recommendations. Is that is a guy that has a BMI of 35? or more and is tested and does not have it, like Rich, is he going to have to get tested every year um, to get a certification or, you know? I guess he w- I guess you would have to if you're wanting to get certified. Uh, I, I I've already discussed that with my physician. And, uh, I, you know, I, he's he, one thing about it, <laughs> I taught my physician how to do a DOT physical. Um, <laughs> and um, got him, and he's, he's applied for and he's got his department certification. Uh, I am the exact reason that he is going to review when he does them, and he's he is developing, and I'm working with him to develop a questionnaire that he actually can take home, and part of that questionnaire will be filled out by his spouse or significant other, or her mm-hmm. spouse and significant other, and if they have some of the criteria, like heavy snoring, but yet if the wife moves into a different position. Um, and he doesn't, and he stops snoring, or uh, he doesn't wake up during the night. I mean, let's face it, the best sleep study in the world is the person that's laying next to you. And uh, he's going to consider that and part make that part of his, uh, you know, the, with the standards of the BMI and the neck size and everything. I don't have a problem with setting standards. What I, you know, I mean, I really don't. And and if you do have sleep apnea, God bless you. Go get it. Go get treatment. But... Um, the thing about it is, if if you know you make your spouse aware of it, 
you know, you're, you know, or, or you're, like I said, you, you know, they can, they can tell with sleep apnea if you quit breathing while you're at, at home at night. I'm sure Donna will tell yep. you she probably remembers Alan, you know, sleeping, and then all of a sudden he would stop breathing during his sleep. Well, that probably caused him to be of concern and go get testing. Wasn't it? Yeah, my, uh, probably figured he was my, doing it. My test, my testing showed that I was stop, I was stopping to breathe uh, twelve times per hour. But Mark, you're still with us. I mean, you brought up. I yeah. mean, you, you're reiterating a good point. We're not trying to uh, yeah. to, to eliminate, you know, the the fact that uh, you know sleep apnea is a serious condition, and and such as you and me, I can testify right along with you. It, I mean, it does help. Oh yeah. You know, I wanted to say too uh, for those when a person gets diagnosed with and you get that CPAP machine, the first time I got it, I could not get used to something strapped to my face at night. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it. I got rid of the first one after uh, about a month. I, I just couldn't get used to it. Well, in 2005, my younger brother died in his sleep. And he was thin, but I, I suspect to this day that it was sleep apnea was involved, although they didn't. Uh, Sorry to hear that. that as, yeah, thank you. Um, after that, I went and got another sleep test. And uh, sleep tests are even hard to do. you got all those wires stuck to your head in different parts of your body, and there's cameras on you, and they, you're, they're, they're trying to make you sleep, and you really don't feel like sleeping. And it, I, 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 I left my first one. but uh, So it, it's a little tough. But if, if you can pump the whole thing out, get through the sleep test, get used to that CPAP, you know, take a few weeks, um, a month, a couple months down the road, um, I tell people now, I don't even want to lay down and have a nap without it. You know, I want that thing with me. Um, I dread being in a situation where I'm trying to get to sleep and I, I can't have it because right. I, I gasp, you know, I, I gasp for breath uh, uh, so much I stop breathing that it, it, it disrupts any time I even try to sleep. I need that CPAP with me. Hey, Mark, you know? can I ask you a question? Do you you do you, you drive over the road? Yep. You have a sleeper. Yep. And you plug your machine into the sleeper, right? Or you plug the machine into your power source, right? Yep. Into an inverter. Yep. Yeah, you have an inverter. How long does the uh, the do the batteries last through that? Like, say, on a uh, I I heard you're from Minnesota, so yep. obviously you have a truck that's up in the cold area. Do you ever yep. have a problem with it running your battery down? Not on a on a good truck. I've had a truck with battery problems and uh, alternator problems. Then I had to watch out for it. But mm -hmm. if it, if I got a healthy system, I can run that and my computer. I leave my laptop plugged in all night too. Um, okay. it, it's okay. It does not drain the batteries. So that's because not that big of a deal. Said, yeah. One of the th why I'm getting at this is one of the things they said, and Todd remembers this was the fact that. Uh, they almost said that some trucks would probably have to put APU units on um, yeah, to have additional idle. power sources to run these through the full diagnostic time that uh, uh, the requirement was to run the machines because they, I don't understand it. You guys understand it. You and Alan do because you have it. But uh, from, a, from, a ma from a maintenance a aspect of it, they said that uh, depending on whatever your prescription was on your time frame, that you may have to actually go with like a shore power or an APU unit to uh, keep it running for the entire uh, time you're supposed to be on it. Is is this correct? I, I don't know this. I, 
I haven't found that to be true. I don't know about Alan. Um, it, like I said, it, I can leave it the truck not running and have it plugged in. My um, sometimes my little refrigerator, my portable refrigerator is plugged in, and my computer. And I wake up in the morning and I can start the truck. So yeah, okay. I tend to say no if you've got a healthy system. It, right. But I do also. I like having those APUs for backups. They do come in real handy. And I will run it. If I got an APU, I will run it. Right. Well, that's why I was saying, because, I mean, this is something that, you know, we we, we think about every day, or we don't think about, because, you know, some of the company guys that are, uh, you know, some of the owner-operators or some of these lease operators that, uh, you know, are, are buying these lease trucks that are being turned in from large companies, you know, they got 300,000 plus miles on them. They're three, four, five year old trucks. Uh, you know, they could have a weaker uh, battery system in them. And just from you know my experience in, in the trucking industry and in the ma- in the maintenance portion of it, uh, I could see where a machine, like you said, if you got a refrigerator, your laptop. I mean, that's that's the modern trucker these days. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, a guy is somewhere stuck and. All of a sudden, you know, you know, with idling laws and you know all these other kind of regulations that um, you know are kind of all coming in at one time, that this could be, you know, this could be an inevitable problem. And one of the things that I brought up in the first meeting that Todd wasn't at when I went to the initial MR, uh, MRB meeting uh, report was I brought up when I got up and talked in my talk, I said, you know, we're talking about the cost of tests, the cost of machines and everything else. How many companies in today's economic uh, atmosphere is going to have the kind of money to put APUs on their units just because the driver has sleep apnea and are they willing to do that? We have to look at all sides of it. I agree 100%. If I had sleep apnea, I'd have a CPAP machine or I might even try one of those dental appliances because they're much cheaper. But... This is something that's going to happen. What happens if a guy is in a cold temperature area like Minnesota, North Dakota, somewhere like that, where we know cold affects the, you know, the battery life of a vehicle, and he's using a CPAP machine and it runs the batteries down, and then, you know, what, for whatever reason, you know, the guy goes to truck, start the truck in the morning and the truck won't start. It's not something against, don't get me wrong, I don't mean that. It's for conversation and for thought and for topic. Please do not say I am anti-CPAP. You know what I, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, and just like you said, too, uh, you know, economics are going to play a big part on this. Well, But, uh, hey, Mark, appreciate you uh, calling in and pulling over and being a part of the show. Drive safe out Thanks, there. Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for uh, tuning Thanks, in Mark. to Truth About Trucking Live. i got to move on. I want to really try to get in EOBRs in here. Time's running out. But let's grab a caller from uh, Colorado, area code 303. Uh, welcome to the show. Caller from 303. I don't push the key button. Is is this Kari? Okay, you know can't wait to. <laughs> Kari? Okay, okay, I can't waste any time. Uh, I I tell you what, okay, I got to take a quick break, and um, uh, we'll uh, we'll return with our guests Richard Wilson and Todd Dills, and we'll discuss the recommendations by the Medical Review Board on EOBRs and try to get some of the uh, long-haul trucking pilot project, otherwise known as NAFTA, in there, too. So still a lot of we tr- got to try to uh, squeeze in here, so hang with us. We'll be right back. There's a lot of copycats out there, but you know 
there's only one. Truth About Trucking Live. Don't go anywhere. Alan will be right back. You might get hooked on driving trucks and shifting those gears. Don't get hooked by that. It'll follow you around. No matter where you go. No matter what town. Doesn't matter if it's wrong or if it's right. What they put on paper's gonna follow you for life. Don't get hooked by that. Don't get hooked by that. Don't get hooked by that. No. Alan Smith here with Truth About Trucking Live and AssetTrucker.com with an important message for owner-operators and fleet owners. Hot John Incorporated is a company that makes the Dynasys APU, and if you're considering an auxiliary power unit for your truck but thought you just couldn't afford it, you need to talk to the Dynasys guys about their all-new financing program. The Dynasys APU saves fuel and provides AC, heating, plug-in power, all of those comfort necessities you deserve when you have to shut down for your mandatory break. It's definitely the smart way to be comfortable and save money. Their finance program is designed to make your monthly payment nearly half of what you're spending on fuel with their goal of making APUs available for every hardworking driver. They realize that times are tough and that credit is hard to come by, so they offer four credit plans giving all owner-operators and fleet owners a guaranteed financing opportunity. They can even get you hooked up with grants that can cover APU costs as well. Give them a call at 1-800-289-8282. Toll free 1-800-289-8282 or just Google search Dynasys APU. Visit them online at hotjohn.com. That's H-O-D-Y-O-N.com. The Dynasys APU, the best solution to engine idling. Okay, welcome back. We're talking with a regulatory expert, Richard Wilson of transproducts.com, Todd Deal, senior editor for Overdrive Magazine, and you can read that over at uh, overdriveonline.com. And we spent about the whole show so far talking about the um, Medical Review Board and their recommendations on sleep apnea. Let's move away from the Medical Review Board and and try to get in some EOBR and long-haul trucking project, what was a uh, mentioned there at the MSAC meeting. So uh, uh, let's go with the EOBRs, uh, whoever wants to jump in. Richard, I guess we'll start with you. What, what's what's new about that? Um, actually, the EOBRs, I was really, really surprised that uh, being that it was a heavy-weighted uh, committee with law enforcement was the cooperation of the group and the main focus was on driver harassment um, by EOBRs. And um, one of the things that they brought up and they put into the program was um, the fact that the EOBR rule is going to be uh, put in place to where you are not required to have a management system or a GPS system that it will be a very basic recording device only for hours of service based on the um, 
uh, ECM of the truck, and it's not going to be required in the rule that you have an expensive management system or a tracking device to quantify or match where you are at the time, it will only record it. Now, one of the things that Todd Spencer brought up was it's based on the movement of the vehicle only and not right. it has no way to determine what is going on with the driver. Now, we all know that OIDA's court case uh, came about about, you know, was based on driver harassment. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. Driver's driving down the road. He gets tired. He decides to pull over. There's a dispatcher sitting in an office in Kansas City. The dispatcher looks at the GPS system and to the driver, and he says, hey, calls him, what are you doing? I'm pulling over. I'm tired. No, uh-uh. You've got three and a half hours of driving time on your log left. You drive for three hours. Now, that dispatcher does not know if that driver is tired. But the EBOR, EOBR with the GPS locator will notify them that the person has time left to drive and could force the guy to drive. You know, it takes away from the driver having the ability to determine when he is tired versus, you know, an electronic device that's telling him how many hours he has left. So they left that out. Now, a company can put a management system in, a company can put a GPS in, and that's fine. But I was very impressed with the fact that there was a, and there was a, a, a and Todd, you, you stop me if I'm wrong, but there was a general consensus amongst the board that GPS tracking, monitoring, was the issue of basically what the harassment was and they worded it such that if the EOBR goes on board, the carrier has the ability to make the decision whether or not they use a tracking device. Yeah, I mean, that was a separating the fleet management system from the from the actual, you know, just the, the recording of the movement of the vehicle uh, was, was kind of like, I think there was a big consensus about that, like the the... Uh, the fact that you shouldn't require uh, there to be two-way communication between the the uh, you know, the back office and the and the truck or or whatever uh, and the truck the EVR. Um Although with the GPS, I'm kind I kind of remember it as um, as a little more contested, um, a little bit more unsettled, um, and the things some some folks on the committee and then including the you know the 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 device manufacturers who were in the room um as members of the public uh who sort of viewed the GPS as as making the the, the vehicle I mean the EOBR like more more of an accurate system um but at the same time the the recommendations that they put forward did not um you know I think they they uh, they represented the those divisions, but they did not sort of, uh, they did not have a sort of a firm conclusion about whether GPS should be included or not. Um, well, I find it interesting there. I mean, there was a lot of lot of different opinions stated at the MSAC meeting as it relates to this EOBR, and I'm going to paraphrase some here. I mean, Rob Abbott of the American Trucking Association, uh, he 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 calls drivers and he called drivers and owner operators. Uh, and again, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he said that 
own, that drivers and owner operators are a population of people who are unsupervised, and now with electronic logs in the trucks, they'll be supervised. Uh, There's one opinion. Todd Spencer of OIDA um, don't like these EOBRs at all because the big problem still is the the waiting time at shippers and receivers. Sure. Um, I mean, his uh, Todd Spencer, I mean, he's, he's right. Uh, the, the whole issue of harassment uh, and how these devices may potentially be used, and maybe they are. To, uh, and, you know, we've heard some anecdotes um, uh, over the over the past few years. These things become more and more um, uh, sort of uh, prominent in the industry. A lot of big carriers using them uh, of sort of drivers feel like a, a sort of a self-pressure to, to get as much drive time in as they can. But, but yeah, the fact is with these things is that, you know, you, you can't, uh, they don't really tell you what, what's going on when the, when the vehicle stopped. Uh, and so it just basically it opens the door to maximizing all the available driving hours. And then, you know, when the driving hours are over, you know, of course you got to load, you got to unload, you got to do other things as well. So it doesn't exactly encourage anybody to get any rest. Uh, rather than you know an eight-hour drive day or a seven-hour drive day, turn turn more likely to be a ten or eleven. You know, so yeah. Well, I mean, and some other opinions we have. Uh, you had Stephen Owen of Road Safe America, and he said that he would think that electronic logging would give the driver the ability to factually prevent harassment. You know, the driver says, right. "I'm out of hours. I'm pulling over." How naive. And Danny Danny Schnotz of uh, Texas-based Clark Freight Lines, he uh, he comes back with that's the point. What if the driver needs to pull over when he's not out of hours, or he needs to go slow when the speed limit is high? Either way, he's going yep. to get pushed. And a real interesting comment I found was um, y'all provided was Lamont Bird of the Teamsters. Uh, he says, I would agree in a sense with Rob that having these electronic devices in trucks is putting the supervisor in the truck. It's also forcing a cultural change in the industry. And uh, you kind of touched on that earlier, Richard, that, um, I mean, the whole industry, as we know, is is, is really experiencing a cultural change right now. Absolutely. And and, and, and he did. He, he did. And that was a very good point. Um, and, and the gentleman from um, ATA, uh, actually made the comment, and Todd and I laughed about it when he said it was, so what are we going to do? We're going to put electronic collars around the drivers now right, so right. Uh, we can monitor where they're going and what they're doing. Uh, putting know, when, the, when he's home asleep, make sure he's getting his rest, you know, kind of thing. He was being sarcastic, of course. But. I know he was. I know yeah. he was. But oh, That's what I'm saying. But, um, you know, putting the supervisor in the truck with with them is, you know, when they have the management. But that there again, that goes with the management system. You know, uh, you can buy yeah. any system. Um, but the thing about what I I disagree with the EOBR rule, and and also I I, I clarified this later um, uh, before I left. I was talking to some people. Um, the EOBR rule that is currently in effect will still be where the where if you have a a uh, focused intervention for hours of service violations, or you have a compliance review, a full in-house comprehensive, that it, the EOBR rule will still is still in effect 
to where that if your 10% of your violations are based on by uh, hours of service that you will be automatically forced to have it put in. That is still in the rule and the initial rule that will come out. What they were basically deciding was what type of EOBR would be, um, you know, uh, regulated on, you know, what you would have, the type you would have to put in the truck. My concern was when I got up and, and gave my speech again, uh, Todd loves it when I get up and talk, uh, <laughs> that the fact that you have so many people in this country that are in that 10,001 to 26,001 that are not generating revenue based on freight. They are generating revenue based on the services they provide. And, you know, when, when, they, when they pass a rule like this, a general across-the-board rule, then it means everybody with a pickup truck of 10,001 pounds or greater or a combination that pulls a trailer could be forced to put a system into their truck. And when we're talking about small operations or, you know, those type of operations, um, I looked into the price. I looked into Zata. I looked into uh, PeopleMat. I looked into Qualcomm. And the average price per installation of unit that I did, and it's an honest uh, price, is going to be about $635 per unit just for the unit in the vehicle, the management systems can run anywhere from eight to thirty-five thousand dollars a year, uh, or I mean, for the basic, um, um, you know, software. And then, if any changes, any change in the hours of service rules could cost as much as three to seven thousand dollars to update the program. Well, there's a lot of people that that are covered by federal regulations that are required, you know, to keep hours of service that would have to put electronic onboard recorders in. My main concern was we need to separate them from the class of over-the-road drivers, you know, for EOBRs, and that was never brought up. Well, well, I find I find the guy with ATA, uh, Rob Abbott, his, uh, his comment, I find it interesting uh, saying that, Drivers and owner operators are a population of people who are unsupervised. I mean, I've been uh, next month. I'll be hitting my 35th year of driving, and I feel like uh, I'm, I'm supervised. By the way, God bless you. Oh, <laughs> well, I've been trying to get out for 34 years. Um, <laughs> well, he was uh, making he was kind of making the uh, he was making the comparison to uh, you know uh, being different than a uh, factory worker. Factory worker, who, yeah. I mean, know, they're who being has super. A, a guy, a line worker at a factory who has a, you know, whose boss is, you know, close by. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Drivers I mean, I, are people who who can manage their time to one degree or another, and or have always done that themselves primarily. And, right. Uh, and I, I, admit, I, I, admit, yeah, I, I mean, I see, I see where he's coming from, you know, and yeah. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not jumping on him. I mean, I understand yeah. his point, but it's a. Uh, I mean, in, in nearly 35 years of driving, I mean, I feel that, uh, you know, I'm supervised by DOT, I'm supervised by FMCSA, law enforcement, HOS rules, my dispatcher. I feel uh, there's a lot of supervision on there. Right. 
You know, so. and, and and I agree with Todd, and, and I did, and I, and I I apologize if I made it sound you know like he was being serious, but he made a good point. I mean, he said every industry in this country has a supervisor on the floor. What right. is the difference in our industry if we have a supervisor in the truck? Um, you know, and and the thing is, but here we go back to cultural change. You know, the culture of the trucking industry has always been that sort of independent. Uh, trustworthy guy. I mean, I've been in the trucking business. I've had fleets, you know, working for me. And if I ever felt that I couldn't trust the guy that I, that was driving for me, but on the other hand, now that I'm in the regulatory side of it, and I, and I do on-site, you know, and I work with clients and companies, I find out that there's an atmosphere out there that, well, we're going to get the job done no matter what. And I think that has has uh, flowed over into the hands of the advocacy groups, and you know they have a strong stand on it. And and as far as the electronic onboard recorders, I I I, I believe this. I believe that the committee themselves admitted that this needs to be a system to where the driver doesn't have the availability or the option to administer or to. Um, uh, do the logs in his own manner that there needs to be a system that can quantify what the driver's doing. Um, I think what they did was by actually going with the systems that aren't GPS, aren't managed by, you know, software systems, they were making it more palatable for uh, the industry to accept. They were making it a, a uh, more uh price reasonable uh system yeah. that could be put in so it wouldn't be um fought as much in the courts and stuff like that and, and it would be a, a a a more of an access, accessible or acceptable system to get them through i mean todd and i we had a late night discussion on this and and talked about it really? late in the evening and and there's a lot of things that that and, and things that are involved with this that go way beyond the over the road trucker, and you have to remember in our industry we have seventy five seven hundred and fifty thousand registered DOT companies, and when you start putting a mandatory rule across the board, uh, yeah. you've got to look at everybody that's going to be involved. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that, that really surprised me, or, or I really, I guess, irated me, was the fact, and Todd will tell you, that there was police and enforcement officials that made the comments that, you know, even if they can't read the system and they're not educated to read these systems, there's no money in the budgets to train them to read these systems. So when a truck pulls in and basically has a sign on board that says EOB on board, may not know that system, may not have the instructions to go in and, and retrieve data, that they want to have the availability to force a driver to do eight days' worth of physical logs. Hell, I can't remember what I did two days ago. <laughs> well, Rich, didn't he go back on that, though? Wasn't that, wasn't that uh, the guy who, uh, he called that harassment, I think, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the funny thing about it was, I have to laugh, and and I filled Todd in on the uh, on the original EORB meeting that I went to before the one that went to before Todd did, uh-huh. and the same officer. I'm not going to mention his name. Todd knows who I'm talking about. He retired. 
and by the way, he's going to work for a trucking company as as a safety. Right. <laughs> but oh, really? this is the guy that stood there and said he is not going to crawl across a dirty truck driver and try to read off the screen of his electronic onboard recorder to see what his hours was, but yet he completely changed his attitude to the point was, listen, if you got an EOBR, I want to get you in, get you out. I don't want to have to sit there and tie you up. And in the very last meeting, he was the one that says he's going to make you sit there and do eight days' worth of logs. So even they <laughs> yeah. realized that, that the amount of inspections and the time frame involved is going to be sort of kind of uh, ridiculous if they do force people because they don't have the system. Now, uh, one thing that was brought up in the previous meeting, one brought up in this one, was they had the security and uh, uh, IT person from the, I, from the FMCSA that said, and one of the recommendations was, well, what if they have a um, thumb drive and they can download it and then hand that to the officer, and the officers all agreed that they didn't want uh, thumb drives put into their units because there could be a, a virus in there that could uh, destroy their system. And it kind of went with the previous one about the electronic transfer of data, you know, where they had to have a transmitting device on the vehicle, mm-hmm. uh, was tied directly into the EOBRs. But the thing was um, they admitted, and, and Todd, Todd agreed with me, you know, I mean, we, we, we talked about this that night when we had our late-night session, that um, they don't want to be, have to sit there and wait for a call a company a company goes to their main database, emails the information to the officer so he has it available to them, but yet they want the option to be able to force the driver to do eight days' worth of logs. Excuse excuse me, but an email from the company's computer database seems to me would be a lot quicker than making a driver do eight days' worth of logs. Yeah, yeah, I hear yeah, you. This, they go did ahead, a large thing, though. They... Uh, I think that in that report, the, the only uh, the only issue of law enforcement harassment related to EOBRs was making was you know if you made them if you made a, if a law enforcement official made a driver do his eight days worth of logs because he didn't want to read the screen. So I I, I don't think that's gonna that's gonna come down. Uh, uh, that's not gonna be in the in the regulation. Uh, the ability to do that, I don't think. And, and the reality of it is, and if you talk to a lot of the guys who have electronic logs today, um, these guys they don't they don't read them because they they trust them. Uh, the, the law enforcement guys. Uh, if you have an OBR, you can you can expect a, a free pass on your logs at least at the scalehouse in a lot of respects. And now, I'd like I'd really like to hear from from drivers on on this if if uh, some of the situations they've encountered have been different than that, but. Most of the guys I've talked to who have them, uh, that's that's what they tell me. So uh, maybe, and, and, maybe and you know what? I'm, I'm actually starting. Getting, I'm starting to get convinced, and I'm and I'm an old advocate against them only because, of like like Alan said, Alan knows me in the culture. Sure. But you know, if it is a situation where you know if the, if you have an EOB on board, uh, and it gets you through the scale, and it doesn't get you harassed. Um, you know, why would anybody want to complain about that? Uh, right. I like the fact that, that, you that you know, I look at the economic standards. I'm, you know, I'm an old manager, and I had to deal with a budget. Um, you know, in today's yeah. economic structure, any any cost per unit 
Uh, If you have units of 200, 300, 400 units, you're talking $1,000 a unit. You know, you're talking a quarter of a million dollars. Um, there are, there are. Um, I know Zada has a has a uh, a very basic system that um, I think you basically you rent you rent the thing that connects to the ECM. It ends up being like twenty five dollars a month or yeah. something like that. And then you use your uh, use your your smartphone or your cell phone for your log screen. I have and, I uh, have I have several I have several carriers that are now using a BlackBerry system. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's and what, I'm what they're about, doing yeah. is they use the BlackBerry system, and then they go ahead, and at the end of the day, they punch in. It goes into a database at the home terminal, and the home terminal punch, mm-hmm. punches out printed logs. And I have to say that from a from a compliance standpoint, oh, man, I, lo- I love those things. I mean, you yeah. know, I, I look at some really pretty logs. But those things, they seem like they're, they're pretty cheap, though, right? I mean, they're probably, well, they probably are about $600 a year or something. Yeah, it's about six hundred dollars a year. It's basically it's an app yeah. that you buy. Yeah, and, and you have to pay for the service for it. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. You pay for the service for the app, and then and you put it into it. And so far, I haven't run across a DOT audit where they they've actually turned it down. I mean, they you know they look at what it prints out. My main concern is you know they just passed a new HOS law, and we had this uh, little. Um, New rule in there about uh, which is not really a new rule, but actually just a redefinition of the on-duty or off-duty uh, called resting. And the okay, problem right, of right. it is when they make complicated hours of service, and then they try to tie that into electronic data that's based on exactly what's out by the ECM. Um, my concern is we need some type of a. Uh, um, system within the system within the system where a driver can adjust or can you know make notifications if if you know the company says you are relieved from duty and that information is transferred and onto the system and then it, there's some documentation to rela- uh, resting right. in the new rules. Um, you know, which will really help in a lot of ways in a lot of areas. But as they make the uh, hours of service rules more complicated, that's always considered, um, you know, an expenditure because you have to update yeah. the system to acquire that. So, yeah. yeah, let me let me jump in here. My time's running out. Uh, got about five minutes. I want to touch a little bit on just real quick uh, uh, what was said at the MSAC meeting. Uh, Todd, and then, Rich, I'll go with you. i got about five minutes. What uh, The long-haul trucking pilot project, which obviously is a NAFTA, uh, what was the uh, what was the main thing that came out of the meeting about that? That's yours, Todd. Uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty much uh, basically the program is, is going on, but there's nobody participating in it. Uh, and, well, I guess the most interesting thing, I mean, it's, tell, like, it's literally like the long-haul cross-border uh, project at that time was made up of uh, about five trucks or something like that. And uh, there had been, there had been maybe eight total crossings. And, uh, one of the more interesting things is that, uh, FMCSA is actually, um, it seems like when they're doing their, they're doing the preliminary audits, uh, they're catching stuff. Uh, the third carrier that applied, uh, it was revealed that the reason that they, they're on a, they're, they're being held back from entering the program is that they 
essentially violated the uh, like old uh, leasing regulations that with NAFTA sort of prevented Mexican carriers from, uh, uh, or rather post-NAFTA, prevented Mexican carriers from leasing their trucks to a U.S. carrier uh-huh. in the U.S. And uh, apparently this, this uh, is a very small carrier, uh, I, I believe, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's small, small carrier or large, Rich? I can't remember. It's a small carrier that's owned by an Amer- a Mexican that lives in the United States. Oh, okay, okay. But, th- but apparently he's leasing some of his Mexican units or from his Mexican carrier to a U.S. company or, yeah, his probably his company in the U.S. Yeah, his American did, company. He was leasing They didn't get that far into the specifics, but... American company. <laughs> but, yeah, okay. like, uh, uh, FNCSA basically, you know, uh, sort of uh, kept them from being part of the program because of that. Uh, they did, okay, so basically... However, they're not going to so, find them or anything, so... Okay, so basically the long-haul trucking pilot project, a big name for NAFTA, um, it's been out there for quite a while. I think 20-something have applied, four or five have been accepted, but uh, pretty much uh, not much Two going on there. participating with yeah, just a couple of trucks. I mean, it's very few. And um, huh. I mean, the thing is, though, it's, it's like the last one was sort of marred by the same problems. They They want to, the idea was that they, you know, make a, like a big demonstration of, um, you know, whether and try to figure out whether or not the trucks coming over are safe and whether or not, uh, um, you know, the the sort of back and forth administration of, of the whole thing can can work because so they can you know basically turn the southern border into the into what's going on the way the northern border works. But as with last time, you know, nobody's really participating, so it's going to be very difficult for FMCSA to do. I, I imagine. Uh, not huh. that they, you know, but uh, okay, but yeah. Well, that, uh, that's I think a... it was less enlightening than uh, than one would have hoped, I suppose. Oh yeah, well, that's that's really odd. Well, we'll be watching it. And uh, listen, my time's winding down here. But Richard, thanks for joining us again. And uh, Todd, appreciate appreciate you coming back on the show and keeping everybody informed on what's going on with his uh, MSAC meetings. Uh, our guests have been uh, Richard Wilson, a regulatory expert there from uh, transproducts.com, Todd Dill, senior editor of Overdrive Magazine at overdriveonline.com, and uh, appreciate you coming on. Donna, are you still hanging with us? I'm still here. I'm I'm taking it all in. Yeah, i got a few minutes, just uh, just real quick. I mean, I'm just going to see uh, we kind of blocked you out there. Did you have any last thoughts or something you want to share? No, I just I want to just say thank you to both Richard and Todd. What a tremendous show and job that you guys did over um, over at the McSack meetings. And I do hope that this is a trend now that people uh, will start tweeting uh, more uh, live for drivers who can't attend these meetings. And uh, it's just another another. Uh, Proof that, that that social media can be such a much more huger platform than than it already is. So uh, thank you so much, both of you. Okay, yeah, it's proven to be a, a powerful tool. So uh, well, listen, I didn't get to all the callers. This was a really a lot of information on this show this evening. You might have to listen to it twice or three times even. A lot a lot of great information, Richard Todd. Thanks again. Uh, appreciate you guys being here this evening and giving us all the insider look into the meeting. And uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in live as you can. And, of course, 
all the follow-up listens that we receive from the archive page. Uh, be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites to keep up with our show schedule, and also be sure to follow us from the Blog Talk Radio page. Really appreciate it as our show continues to grow among listeners across the World Wide Web. And, and listen, be sure to visit our sponsors who keep Truth About Trucking Live on the air, broadcasting across the world via the Internet. I mean, if you don't think you can afford an APU for your truck, you need to think again. Check out the Dynasys APU by Hodjohn Incorporated. Just Google search Dynasys APU. And if you're considering becoming an owner-operator and looking for the best leased option in the industry, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing, all you need to know. Check them out at LoneMountainTruck.com. And once you're on your way with your very own business, remember not too many people within the trucking industry are on your side. Get your business off the ground the right way with TripSheetCentral.com. Uh, Eddie Gachui, he'll work for you and only for you to make certain your owner-operator business works its way to higher profits. And he's the man that can do it. You'll just have to trust me on this one. So check it out, TripSheetCentral.com. I appreciate our sponsors and all the listeners online, and we'll try to get your calls next time. Just had a lot, a lot of information I wanted to get out there. This is just really important stuff that's going on that uh, you drivers out there are driving and working hard and may not be able to uh, uh, to keep up with it all. But uh, really appreciate everybody tuning in. I tell you, let's close it out this evening with a song that got the whole industry jumping, produced by AllenAirsProductions.com, written by David Ayers and Barry Allen performed by John Johnson from the title album, When the Big Rigs Don't Roll. So until next time, for Donna Smith, truthabouttrucking.com, askthetrucker.com, truckingsocialmedia.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and hey, thanks for listening. It ain't right, man, it sucks When the big old companies make a billion bucks On the backs of the working man Driving trucks and cars It takes 1,200 bucks to fill this rig While I'm stuffing the pockets of some big wig He don't care if I've maxed out my credit cards The only trick I get for my truck is the jack and the price when I fill it up. It's like pumping my money down an endless hole. But what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll? Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll. don't need a college degree to figure out that they're ripping off me. They get a big tax break and all I get's the shaft. Insurance goes up if my credit is down. If I sink any lower, I'm gonna drown. And I ain't getting no help from a bureaucrat, no. The only trick I get for my truck is the jack in the price when I fill it up. It's like pumping my money down an endless hole. But what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll? Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll. If mama hadn't taught me to go.
tell those big wigs what to do with the nozzle on the pump where I get my gas. But I'm a good boy and I won't do that. All my truck is a jack in the price when I fill it up. It's like pumping my money down an endless hole. What they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll? Tell me what they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll? What they gonna do when the big rigs don't roll? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.